Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. On Wednesday, the Portland City Council unanimously passed a drug use criminalization ordinance. It was crafted by Commissioner Renee Gonzalez and Mayor Ted Wheeler. The measure would ban the public use of drugs like fentanyl and meth if, and this is a big if, the Oregon legislature changes a state law. The city council also directed its lobbyists to push for that legislative change. Public safety and homelessness were among the top issues that Gonzalez campaigned on and likely the issues that swept him into office last November. He joins us now for an update on these priorities. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to our studio. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be in person. I want to start with this unanimous vote this week to prohibit the public use of drugs if lawmakers change state law. And let's say they do that. And it's entirely possible, given where public sentiment is right now, and also the fact that this quirk in state law seems to have caught a lot of Oregonians by surprise, including, I think, some lawmakers. Walk us through what you think would happen next. Well, um, it allows, uh, it would allow Portland police to book um, so there's intervention on public consumption, uh, particularly intervention if that consumption is coming with other negative behaviors. I think that's going to be the most likely scenario that they would initially interact. Um, and the idea is ultimately that people are getting treatment. I want to be crystal clear. This is a criminalization step, but our goal is to get the people who need the treatment, the treatment under our system. Uh, the court system has been an effective way to compel treatment in the past. Many will argue that volunteer is more efficient. Uh, don't necessarily dispute it, but this is another means to get people into, in, into treatment. So uh, right now, uh, because of the pandemic, our circuit courts were really clogged up. Uh, they have historically had a drug court diversion program, but when the court system sort of breaks down, you're not getting those referrals. And we're really hoping that once we have the ability to do this, uh, we can start uh, accelerating people going into drug courts, which drives them to addiction services. Do you think that Portland police would focus on giving out these citations uh, for public drug use that, that could lead to penalties of up to six months in jail or $500 fines, and that the DA would take up these cases, would have enough resources to prioritize this level of infraction? I think we, it's, it's, that's going to all remain to be seen. I mean, we're, we're a little ways away from actually how this will be executed because um, the state legislature is really going to have two choices. They can go the route that we've gone with cannabis, which is still state preemption, but prohibits public consumption at a state level. Um, and I think it's a misdemeanor under state law. Uh, or they allow cities to regulate this activity, which is the way alcohol is addressed. And um, so a little bit remains to be seen on which route the state legislature would go. Uh, will That will directly impact how we execute on this. But um, what's important for police is the ability to book. And usually that's going hand in hand with some sort of public consumption in, in conjunction with some other negative behaviors, you know, Th that's or, that's your assumption from conversations with uh, Portland police. With police yeah. That that in terms of of the way they would prioritize enforcement, public use wouldn't likely be enough for them to book. I think that the uh, they they 
it's very important for them to have the right to book to intervene. And so, um, but what we've seen with alcohol in particular and some of these others is there's often, given their priorities and uh, competing demands on their resources, they're going to have to triage. They're going to have to make decisions about when they intercede or not. And um, I, I've, I foresee that there would likely be something else going on with the public consumption. Bottom line, though, you know, the city will have the right our Portland police will have the right uh, with after the state interacts here, or inter- intercedes here to intervene in public consumption. That is the goal. And that is a response to Portland voters. Uh, when uh, when police do it, I think some of that remains to be seen. So let's turn to the piece after the police part. Mm-hmm. When you were running for city council, you said that you were going to bring back a municipal court, something mm-hmm. that the city of Portland hasn't had for many decades now. Theoretically, that could be the venue for processing these kinds of violations of a city ordinance. Are you still interested in doing that? Uh, so there's still some technical pieces for municipal court under state law. Uh, as state law reads today, city, the city of Portland is the only city in the state that cannot enforce its own code in a municipal court. It can prosecute state-level misdemeanors, but because of the way it was done in the 70s, uh, the, the, the city of Portland cannot enforce its own code uh, under a municipal court. That's a technical piece that we'd like to address. Um, Just to be clear, it's not like they don't go, uh, they go unpunished, but it happens at, at county courts. Uh, that's right. It, you'd have to prosecute through circuit court. Uh, and so uh, we are continuing to evaluate that. I don't think that there is the appetite of a majority of counselors at this point to spend the dollars at this point in time, but we're continuing to evaluate the functioning of the circuit court, the DA, and its ability to address uh, low-level property crimes, and uh, we are continuing to keep it on the table. So it is it, we we are evaluating. We saw some positive signs of the dialogue. We think it led directly to the vehicle theft and uh, retail theft task force at the uh, DA's level in conjunction with the uh, Portland Police. So we've seen just the dialogue about it and the focus on property crimes has had some positive impacts, but we're going to leave it on the table for sure. I want to turn back to the, the vote itself and, and the idea behind this of of criminalizing what once were illegal drugs, um, the, the use of them in the city of Portland. The counter argument that, that I've heard and that, that you have heard as well in, in, in testimony to city council, and I'm sure in other places, is that this won't actually reduce the use of drugs, that instead it will put that use behind closed doors or somehow make it less visible, and that that could mean more fatal overdoses. What's your response to that argument? First and foremost, this is a response to Portlanders that were outraged by public consumption. So uh, witnessing in front of their children, breathing the fumes. This is a response to voters and our citizens uh, reaching out to us with deep, deep concern about this. In terms, in and frankly, the city and the community has a right to have a say on what goes on in the right of ways. And that, that's including whether that's the user or the non-user. We all have a stake in what occurs in our common areas. Uh, I would also submit that we've taken a number of steps in recent years, including Measure 110, to destigmatize public drug use. And we were promised, if we destigmatized, that that would lead to better health outcomes. We're not seeing those better outcomes uh, since we destigmatized. We're seeing exploding overdose deaths at the city, county, and state level. Our 911 system is getting crushed. I mean, Portland Fire right now is on pace to be a 60, see a 60% increase in overdose responses this year. That was after about 45% 
percent last year. So we're. Um, I, I should say a, a lot of what you're talking about is being seen not the in the public way, but those numbers. This is happening all over the country. Much of what you're talking about is directly attributable to the fentanyl crisis, which is a national crisis, particularly What's, on the what, West Coast. Yes, right. especially, but but not just. I mean, there there are, there are Appalachian states where there are skyrocketing rates of, of overdoses for the same reason. What seems unique here is the visibility of it. I, I want to go back. I mean, what yeah. you said, your first answer to my question was the public is asking for this. I, I'm I'm wondering if you just believe or don't believe what what advocates for the what we have right now and and for increased treatment as opposed to criminalization what they say will lead to higher overdose rates. Do you, do you disagree with that? I, I, I don't think there's data to support that argument right now. I mean, we have, and when we look at the West Coast and you look at even Portland prior to Measure 110, there, Measure 110 was a culmination of a long-term trend in the city of Portland and the state of Oregon towards destigmatizing drug use. Uh, you look at Multnomah County bookings prior to Measure 110, we almost never booked someone for possession. It was invariably connected to some sort of distribution or some other uh, higher crime, right? So um, I, I don't put everything on Measure 110, but as an emblematic of a trend. And uh, and I look at through the, all that destigmatization, you know, uh, treating addiction as a disease, that has not led to better outcomes anywhere on the West Coast, from my vantage point. We are amidst a major national crisis on, uh, and regional crisis on overdoses. So that, that's my pushback. We have done what the advocates said. We have destigmatized. We have allocated substantial dollars towards addiction services, which I continue to fully support. I mean, that's one part of Measure 110. I am all on board with is putting as many dollars towards addiction services as we can, but it has not led to the positive health outcomes we were promised. So I think it's fair to push back on that. If you just tune in, we're talking right now with Portland Commissioner Renee Gonzalez. I want to turn to Portland Street Response, which is a, a part of the Fire Bureau, Portland Fire and Rescue, which you oversee. It sends mental health workers, not police officers, in response to 911 calls when people are in the middle of behavioral health crises, uh, but are not an immediate threat to themselves or others. According to data from Portland State University, it's reduced police officer workloads for calls that police don't often want to be responding to, and it's provided an alternative to overburdened emergency rooms. What do you see as the benefits of Portland Street Response? Well, it's a great program to efficiently find non-police intervention for those in uh, mental distress, right? And, and it's, you know, mobile response is finding another way to get people to de-escalate. Uh, ideally connect them with services, although that sometimes is elusive, uh, depending on uh, whether the recipient is willing to, to take those services at that time. But it is it has added some efficiency in our system uh, for certain types of police calls. The medical side is a little bit more elusive. We're, st we're working on actually trying to deepen their medical capabilities, a, a deeper tie-ins with our program called CHAT, which is Low Acuity Medical Outreach for Portland Fire. Um, Which I, is also a, a young two-year-old program which, ha which has, what, two two-person teams? That's right. Usually a paramedic and an EMT. And uh, they're, they're alleviating. I think I was on a ride-along this week. They uh, elder fall. Uh, they're first on site. They avoid a four-person uh, fire rig having to show up. They do the intake, relieve the pain, stabilize the
the injury, prepare the patient for transport. Uh, and that seems really different than Portland Street Response. I mean, in terms of the 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 overall intent of it and the kinds of calls that they are that they're meant to respond to. Yeah. So, I, and just to be clear, so these both fall under community health inside of uh, Portland Fire. Uh, PSR was really on the uh, behavioral health side. Chat is on the low acuity medical side, and these are both strains on our system. So they're originally solving two separate pro problems. Um, where we're kind of seeing, however, is that merging the two together may have some real benefits. Because in in what way? Um, because often there is, uh, there's a combination of behavioral health needs and low acuity medical that often one's coming with the other at any given time. So what do you... What's your plan right now? I mean, it, you actually want to merge these two? Uh, we're, they already, the program I inherited, they were both under community health. They were already under the same sort of leadership inside of Portland Fire. That's and different than saying that that they are, that you're going to combine them. They had the same, you know, boss. That's right. Uh, and one of the first things we had to do, there was actually a vacancy when I walked into that, uh, into the role. We filled that for consistent leadership over both programs. No, but... What, what I'm saying is that chat has some low acuity medical capabilities that can be advantageous for those on the street that are served by PSR. And uh, often we have a paramedic, which is the highest level of kind of, you know, uh, capability uh, on the chat side that we'd like to see filled in through PSR. You told OPB reporter Alex Zielinski uh, earlier in the summer that you were not going to formally respond to that PSU report that I mentioned earlier until you heard the Fire Bureau's analysis. Yeah. It's been a number of months now. Have you gotten their analysis? I have gotten their analysis. Pretty, And whether I supplemented remains to be seen, but they've, they've offered a... In fact, it's on the Portland State's website. They put up uh, Portland Fire's response in uh, we look to both to help inform policy going forward. Well, what's your overall take on that PSU report that was very positive and said, this is really good. It, it should not be killed. It, it should not be slowed down. It, it should expand. Well, fully supportive of continuing the program. And it actually has more financial resources this year than it did last year. All, all on board with that. Uh, the uh, There's other elements that Portland Fire took some uh, a dispute with, uh, in particular, the immediate push for 24-7, they were concerned about some of the structural pieces inside the program if it was really ready to scale, like how you onboard people. We had some really deep concerns about attrition inside the program, uh, whether they're being trained. They weren't complying with certain procurement policies. So just the things that a city program needs to comply with. It, need, it needed to fill some gaps. So, um, But uh, right now, Portland Fire feels pretty strongly about the uh, program, and I think that makes it easier to expand going forward. A number of people inside and outside city government now have said that it would likely make sense, including this PSU report, say that it would make sense to take Portland Street Response outside of Portland Fire and Rescue and put it in the pretty new community safety division, which, among other things, oversees uh, efforts to reduce gun violence and, and also oversees homeless outreach programs. Would you support that? Well, we have been, there's been a separate exercise going on in the state, uh, in, inside the city, to prepare for charter reform implementation. And that will involve the sort of reclustering of city bureaus. I have been waiting to see sort of the, the formal recommendation uh, from that work uh, as, to kind of make this decision or at least, you know, weigh in on it. Uh, some really important pieces here. So Community Safety Division currently has responsibility for things like task sites and shelters and camp cleanup on the one hand, and then on the other, gun violence. 
it's kind of a hodgepodge of a collection of programs that I'm not sure in the new form of government really makes sense for all of those things to be together. So kind of want to see how that all lays itself out. And then then we put PSR in the right place. I, I think we should always talk about whether it should be have deeper ties with the county. You know, the, the, they are the primary social welfare uh, provider, uh, very focused on behavioral health. Uh, they have and some, they have their own program, which in some ways sounds a lot like PSR. There are some duplications. There, are, you know, they do do some things different, but there uh, there are some duplications. They also have the ability to do Medicaid billing. So the city of Portland has never had to stand that up because historically cities are not really recipients of Medicaid dollars. There are some exceptions, but that's uh, very difficult for cities to qualify for that. So they never built the capability to bill. And um, there, Senator Wyden's office has made some efforts to make mobile response uh, programs uh, capable of getting Medicaid dollars. And that's, so that's one of the things. Long-term, you know, whether it should sit outside of FIRE, whether it should be part of the Joint Office on Homelessness or part of the county, we're keeping that all on the table. You know, I think those are a couple years away, but we'll see what comes back on charter reform implementation and then come up with a recommendation for where it should sit. Before we say goodbye, while we're talking about the huge changes coming to city government, because voters approved these changes in the same election that you won, you you have a, a two-year uh, term instead of a four-year term, meaning if you want to represent Portland again, you're going to have to run next year. Are you interested in running for mayor? Are you interested in running for a purely legislative seat on a much larger city council? Um, I, I We're still working through that with my family, uh, candidly. Uh, right now, a purely, purely legislative role is not particularly attractive, so um, it's not really what I ran for initially. And so uh, all things are on the, op- uh, on the table. I want to be crystal clear. Public service is a tremendous sacrifice for uh, families. I think some things we knew going in, uh, some things we didn't. So we're going to continue to evaluate our next steps. But it sounds like right now, if in terms of those jobs, if you were going to announce being a, running for mayor seems more interesting to you than being a city councilor on a very different kind of city council. It, it, I, I would say that the, what I ran for is very different than what would be available in 2025. I, I, I'd leave it at that. And uh, But really, all, all, all things are on the table for us right now. We're on the clock. We're going to have to make a decision soon. And, um, and we'll let you know as soon as we've made it. Renee Gonzalez, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks so much, Dave. Renee Gonzalez is one of the members of the Portland City Council. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.